welcome to Radical Being. It's launch week for my new book, and in today's show, I'm taking a slightly different track and sharing a bit of the backstory, because it's not a book I would write these days, and I actually wrote it years ago. So there's a curious, mysterious trail of golden breadcrumbs, a path of golden keys, those are both shout-outs to previous episodes for regular listeners, that led me to creating this work or offering it forward and striving to create something transpersonal, beyond the typically narrow lens of self-oriented memoir, instead reaching for what connects us in our humanness. And my devotion to creating an offering of goodness and beauty in the world, which is my directive for basically everything I do. And I'm sharing a little bit about risking it all, not just in the story, but in our vulnerability. There's power in vulnerability, not just to connect with readers or listeners, but in life. The honesty of an authentic connection, which has its own connection to radical integrity. It's a genre-defying book, and in today's show, I'm going to share a little bit about how it came to be in the world. Ready to dive in? Let's get radical. Welcome to another episode of Radical Being with yours truly, River Fair. In case you're tuning into an audio version of the podcast, which is not an unusual thing for a podcast, I always like to point out that this is actually a next generation video podcast, and you can find the video edition on Spotify, as well as the show's dedicated website, radicalbeingpodcast.com. And I do keep usually the three most recent episodes on my own site, riverfair.com. So now that that little video shout out is out of the way, I'd like to welcome you to a, a different sort of a show today and that it's more personal than what I'd normally put forth because I am celebrating launch week. <laughs> If you have tuned into any of the last several episodes, you know that I have a book forthcoming in the world, which has now arrived. I've given little teasers of that, not said a lot about it, just sort of waiting for launch week to get here. And it is launch week. It's, well, by the time this show drops, launch week will be last week, or who knows whenever you're listening to this in the future. But for me, it's launch week, the culmination of months, and really, as I'll share a little bit about today in about the book, years of bringing something to life. And it's a curious thing, this book. So I'll just segue right into it. First, let me give you the title, Where Two Worlds Touch, An Outsider's Memoir in England. This is, well, technically, it's my fifth published book. My first book back in 2014, which I'll 
touch on maybe briefly in the show, The Bones and Breath, A Man's Guide to Eros, the Sacred Masculine, and the Wild Soul. And then I self-published three compilation journeys, sort of an anthology. For for years, I had uh, a pretty lengthy blog, really, on, I would might just call it, What Nourishes the Soul. And it was called The Soul Artist Journal. And there are three little, they hardly even count as books in my view, but collectively, right, I've put out five books now in the world. And those little anthologies, there's To Kneel and Kiss the Earth and uh, Life for the Senses and Ordinary Sacred. And Ordinary Sacred is an award winner and so is The Bones and Breath. So, and who knows what's in store for the new one. But it's a curious backstory to this. What I want to say is, well, several things I want to say, but I want to start by saying it's sort of odd to be putting a memoir into the world because I'm really no longer interested in telling a story about myself. And that's partly where I want to go in today's show. And the nature of a memoir is (laughs) sort of Right. By default, self-oriented. Here's the story of my life, or at least a segment of it. Biographies or autobiographies tend to be sort of more a linear overview of one's life, whereas a memoir often focuses on a certain passage of that. And this is a story about my partner and I living in England some years ago. And had I not written this book actually back in 2015 and 2016. So it is an old book. It wouldn't be in the world. I wouldn't be interested in writing it today. And not that it's not a beautiful or worthwhile story, but it's simply, for me, the lens is so much wider these days. I'm interested really only in the transpersonal. What connects us in our humanness? And, and, certainly personal evolution and all the things that this show focuses about self-awareness and getting free of what limits us. I will say the book in its way is the beginning of my own evolutionary journey in a conscious way, learning to say yes to the challenges of life and willingly and lean into the mystery and touch on some of the other transpersonal themes, which is ultimately what I decided last year, that it still had merit in the world and I wasn't going to throw it out. <laughs> I There's actually, in my view, a, a very curious, much larger backstory to how this book even came into being and, and found its way ultimately to me publishing it. Um, Most of that I'm sharing in a separate behind-the-scenes video that will be on my website um, largely by next week. So I won't get into all the details. It is, I think, a curious sort of story about mystery and a little bit of magic and following, if you've tuned into other shows, that the trail of golden breadcrumbs through the woods or the path of golden keys. Those are little nods to earlier shows for you regular listeners. But I will share sort of how it did come to be, at least initially. And 
ultimately why I decided to not throw it out. I is it was 2007 that my partner and I moved to England and much later right before I embarked on that journey I, w- I went to the bookstore looking for a book essentially to read on the plane that's back when Borders Books and Musics was still alive and browsing the bookshop in Portland Oregon where we were living at the time before moving to London the I picked up a book um I wanted something hopefully European, something that would take me away, maybe about living in a foreign country, sort of renovating an old house. Those are the sort of books that intrigued me back then. Um, And I picked up a book called The Lady in the Palazzo by Marlena de Blasi. And I knew nothing about it, but the cover was intriguing. And I, on the back, I learned that she was a American chef and food writer who had moved to Italy um, to marry a Venetian and had written some other books about that, A Thousand Days in Venice and A Thousand Days in Italy. And this was apparently her third in the series of memoirs. But flipping through it, it seemed sort of lush and well-written. I thought, well, this will be just great for the plane. Well, I absolutely was smitten by the book. And one of those situations where you you pick up a book by an author you don't know, and then later you say, I have to read everything else that they've written. What else has this person done? And in that way of mysterious grace. (laughs) It was her third book I picked up. Had I picked up her first book, which was A Thousand Days in Venice, I probably, A, wouldn't even have finished it, and I certainly wouldn't have gone on to read her other books. But because the mystery, as I call it, put the third book in front of me, I went on and just ended up reading all of her memoirs, and she's got cookbooks and other things. And when I was living in London, these books I really cherished. Her language is very lushly gilded, and I, but I could relate. Not only was she a chef and a foodie type person, but like me, a tactile sensualist for life. And this, and her, and and she writes about being an outsider, and in in Italy. La Americana, definitely more of an outsider in, in her own way than, than I was in England, but I, I could relate. And her books deeply comforted me. I absolutely was an outsider in different ways. And so that was like a little seed that was planted. And flash forward to 2015, on a trip to Paris, my partner and I we were actually on our way to the Cannes Film Festival, but we were in Paris for the night, and it was my birthday weekend. And there's a whole backstory behind this too. Actually, I've written this whole story. It was a post in the Soul Artist Journal, and it's in the first compilation anthology, To Kneel and Kiss the Earth. And that post is called A Paris Encounter Meeting de Blasi. And it's, again, touched by mystery, because had any one of 20 things that day not transpired, a single link in the chain, I would not have been at that Left Bank Cafe, an iconic Left Bank Cafe, Les Deux Majors, which has been an artist's hangout and writer's hangout for forever, probably one of the most iconic Paris cafes. But arriving right at that moment, and Marlena de Blasi seated at a sidewalk table, and I recognized her, and my, that's Marlena de Blasi, like the one author, the one person that I would want to meet to say how much I've enjoyed her books. And my partner convinced me to go up and say, I, was like, I don't want to bother her. You know, I don't want to be some, you know, fan follower. He said, she's sitting at the front table on the sidewalk. She's not exactly hiding. And 
I eventually summoned the nerve and went in and she was so gracious and it ended up, I won't get into that story other than to say it was the beginning of a friendship. And when I got back to the States after that Paris trip, because by then we had returned to living in the States, I, my first book had just come out and it wasn't really going anywhere. And I was sort of reaching for what's the next project, wanting to write a story. Maybe um, I'd put out this nonfiction book in the world, but I've always been a storyteller as I'm doing right here and now. And I thought, you know, I have an interesting story about being an outsider, a chef. I am a Paris-trained chef, and um, it hasn't been in my work in years, but I thought I could write something like Marlena's books, which I really enjoyed. And so I sat down, and over the next two weeks, basically a torrent of words poured out through my pen. I write everything still by hand with a fountain pen and my favorite French notebooks, and just sort of like vomited the whole London... English countryside experience for several years into multiple notebooks. And that was the beginning of that book, essentially because of Marlena's books and this seemingly million, seemingly chance million to one encounter of meeting her in Paris. The, the first draft of this book is very, very different than this draft that has just emerged at launch week. Different title. It's had multiple titles along the way, working titles. But it was very much in sort of the mode of Marlena's books. Uh, a, I'll just call it a foodie memoir, <laughs> A Chef Living Abroad, which at the time I thought, well, that, you know, her books have sold well. That's probably I could interest an agent with it. You know, I'm also a chef. Foodie memoirs were in, travel memoirs were in, um, and sort of what's the expression? Um, imitation is the most sincere form of flattery, sort of like, okay, well, I'm. I can I have a very different story than Marlena, but I'll I'll go along that path. And I, you know, the first draft is often called, or I shouldn't say often, but my favorite expression for it, which I've come across in a couple of places, the vomit draft. And as I said, what was basically vomited into those notebooks was just a recounting of everything that happened. And that in itself is not an engaging story. There's not an there's certainly not a plot. There's not necessarily even an arc of a storyline. And so it began early, multiple drafts of cutting things out and what's essential and what moves the story forward and whatnot. And I, and then shortly thereafter, around 20, 20, well, 2015, 2016, is when I toppled into a mysterious healing crisis. And I'm not touching on that at all. I've shared bits of that in other shows and um, I could refer you to the second or third show, Regenerative Alchemy, and also more recently, the Madre Ayahuasca show. But everything stopped for me and shut down. And certainly the book manuscript just went into a, a box in a drawer and stayed there for two years. And somewhere around 2018, uh, finally able to sort of put energy into a creative project again, I, I took that out and sat with it and said, hmm, okay. This has merit, but not in the way that I originally wrote it. It is not really authentic enough. It's not authentic to my being. And not that anything in it was untrue, but the focus of here's a chef living abroad, that really wasn't what my life or story was about. And by this point, because of the healing crisis and 
spending two years regenerating my body and brain. And as I've touched on in the Madre Ayahuasca episode, the imperative to become clear, that now being my path of devotion. What does it mean to become clear in your body, of your patterns, your energetic field, if that's a belief of yours, as I often say, it was of mine at the time, that this needs, this has good bones, but it needs to be more authentic in that part of me that I've not brought fully forward, the intuitive, the healer, the mystic, the spooky person, as my, as my partner has affectionately called it for years, it needs to be spookier. I, these are clunky terms that I don't use much, but I throw them out just to sort of illuminate that clairvoyant, clairaudient, clairsentient. I generally just refer to myself as a sensitive or an intuitive, but none of that was in the story and I knew it needed to be. And the story isn't per se about any of that. It's about conscious relationship. It's about nature. It's about leaning into uncertainty and evolution and transpersonal. That's where I'm finding my way to here, hopefully. And so I worked on it for a while and the manuscript had numerous problems. It starts with me coming back to my partner of 16 years after us being cast very dramatically apart the year previous and me leaving London and going back to the States. And so there's a backstory that needs to happen of me returning to London and our life in England. But the book really sort of takes place and unfolds and unfurls into what it is once we move to the English countryside. But there was this sort of log jam of getting from London to the countryside and whatnot. And the problems that at the time I really just I, I couldn't quite fix. And so back it went into the drawer for essentially another two years till about 2020. And then I pulled it out and started working on it again, just as the COVID passage was happening. And of course, I refer to forced evolution. The COVID, the COVID thing was a forced evolution for almost everybody. And I reinvented my work and everything I was doing around that. And the book just, it wasn't happening. There was other, all hands on deck to sort of navigate this forced evolution of, of COVID. All right, what's, what's, what's next in this? I've always said from the outset, this is an evolutionary passage for almost everyone. It certainly was for me in a profound and very positive way. And it was really the beginning, I didn't see it at the time, of another sort of unraveling and cocoon and metamorphosis. And towards the end of 20, somewhere in around early 21, I was definitely going into a really radical metamorphosis, kind of another shamanic initiation, part of this all with the devotion to become clear and dismantled really everything I had built. I took down my LR Heartsong platform. That was my previous name. And essentially, I stopped coaching. I, I essentially withdrew from view. I scrubbed myself from social media. I sort of inconceivable to most people at the time, but I, I was in total alignment and integrity of this, this is actually what needs to happen. Take all of this down, even though I wasn't really quite clear why. And I essentially disappeared for two years and went through a radical sloughing off of old identity, belief systems, moving into what I would, or towards what I would call now radical integrity. And when I emerged from that after two years, essentially, uh, that process that Part of that was me even changing my name to River Fair. 
as I sat with this manuscript and, and because I had stopped work and everything else towards the end of 21 and early 22, essentially just needing a creative project <laughs> and thinking, well, maybe this manuscript, since I'm not really doing anything else right now. And, but what was very clear to me at that point is that I no longer had any interest in telling a story about myself. It just, it wasn't relevant anymore. I'm reaching for always the transpersonal, what connects us. And memoirs, and, and certainly this was the case of the manuscript, even though I was reaching for transpersonal themes, it's still very self, self-oriented. Difficult to write a memoir that's not self-oriented because that's the nature of the genre. And I, I wrestled with this for a while, thinking, I'm just... I just don't have any interest in putting out a story about, especially a person I was 10 years ago in England at the outset of my evolutionary journey. But something in me said, or just in consciousness awareness, said, this story has merit. It's a beautiful story, actually. And as I sat with that, I thought, okay, if I let go of my attachment of, or I don't want to tell a story about myself, so I'm going to throw this out. If I approach this as simply, I'm going to make this as an offering of beauty and goodness in the world, and that that is the true motivation for it, because that was absolutely at its core here. This, this is a beautiful offering. It's a beautiful story. And that became the motivation. I, there's a little shout out here to an earlier episode, a few episodes back called Shadow, Gift, and Service. And it's a model I use of you could just call it human awareness, human consciousness, or levels of awareness. And in my usual way of kind of tossing out paradigm shifting possibilities, this level of shadow, and then gift, and service, or maybe not levels, expanding spheres, if you will, it's more how I sort of view it. I offer the possibility, and it is my view, what if the highest calling for humanity is to create goodness and beauty in the world. What if? And that, that is behind everything I do. It's behind my blog, it's behind my coaching, it's behind everything that River Fair puts out in the world. An offering to create goodness and beauty in the world, in whatever modest way that happens. Other little side note, I was just recently a guest on a podcast, I think it'll drop in January. Um, a woman, Dr. Claudia Monacelli, she lives in Italy, but her show is called Let's Talk Soul. And in our conversation, somehow that piece came up about creating goodness and beauty in the world. And she said, in that order, I said, either beauty and goodness, goodness and beauty, both and. I don't think one is above the other, but that is what I view as the higher calling. And that is what propelled me then to spend much of the end of 2022 and pretty much all of summer and into 20, I'm getting my years mixed up. It's all, it's all an illusion anyways, probably. But crafting and recrafting and polishing and cutting and to create, okay, what is the most beautiful thing that I can create here? This story with its transpersonal themes of belonging and what is home? That's definitely an ongoing question in my life or an ongoing thread. And what does it mean to have a conscious relationship and leaning into uncertainty and trusting 
the mystery. That actually for, for a couple of years was the book's working title, Trusting the Mystery. And, and ultimately, and, and trying to get an agent interested and, and deciding when that couldn't happen after six months, I decided I was going to just chuck it again. And, but that little voice said, well, if you've committed to making this an offering of goodness and beauty, then throwing it out isn't seeing it all the way through. And because I didn't want to self-publish it, I will say not to have a conversation, a long conversation about publishing, but although self-publishing and all that is changing rapidly, the thing that traditional publishers still do best, and my first book had a publisher, is they get that book into hands of more people, especially if you don't have a sizable platform, which I did not anymore because I dismantled it all. <laughs> and, and so when I couldn't, those doors wouldn't open and I couldn't get anybody ready to even read the manuscript, which was just stunning to me. My partner kept saying, if somebody would just, I know, don't get me started. If somebody, if an agent would just read it, but the flip side, I would say it's a love it or hate it story. You either are drawn in absolutely. And you love it, the writing, the story, or it's not your thing. And that's okay. But deciding ultimately, okay, I am going to self-publish this for a number of reasons to have total control over the editing, the cover, the book design, the, the title itself, all of which you give up with a traditional publisher and to move it forward on a timeline, frankly, simply to be done with it and move on <laughs> back to not wanting to tell a story about myself anymore. I thought, wow, if I land this with a traditional publisher, it, it's not even going to be out for two more years. And that's sort of like this. Okay, no. We are birthing this and moving on, and it's going to be out by December. So that has been this sort of curious backstory overall. I'm glancing down at my clock there to check because I, I often joke at an hour, I'm just getting started. And I, I could talk for hours about this book and its journey, but maybe I'll wind this down with just a couple of things. It's because this is not my first book, it's it's much easier now to sort of birth it and let it go. It will have its own journey. It will be whatever it's meant to be. It will go wherever it's meant to go in the mysterious manner that that always happens. And I can, knowing I've done the absolute best I can and built everything for months of a launch and it has beautiful professional reviews. It's an editor's pick from Book Life book life reviews by Publishers Weekly. It's an indie books we love selection from Love Reading, which is the leading um, UK book recommendation website. It has wonderful, po positive professional reviews and advanced reader. And it's just, you know, there's very little for an author that's more heartening to know that your book has landed with people and particularly that it's landed in their hearts. And that part for me is just, a lovely validation, I guess. There is, I chose to really risk it all in my, in my usual way, but I'm a radical integrity coach <laughs> and there are moments in the editing or even back earlier in the writing, like, do I really want to share this? Yes. Risk it all. Risk it all. Because there is power in our vulnerability. I shared, mentioned earlier, the, the podcast on the stories we tell. And a key thing in stories is agency, how the character or the storyteller changes or is transformed as the result of the choices they make. And that is 
definitely sort of throughout this story. How did the two protagonists, my long-term partner and I, drawn unexpectedly back together, how did we change as a result of this adventure? We both changed dramatically. And so agency being a key kind of storytelling thing that moves the story forward, but also vulnerability. That's a way that we connect in, in life beyond stories. I say the more vulnerable we are willing to be, the more possibility for true connection opens. And to me, there's a, there's sort of like side by side or two sides of the same coin there of radical integrity, which is my mode de vie of life now, total commitment to be integrity at all times in everything from the food I eat, to the choices I make, to the language I use, to the way I show up for life, total integrity, and the vulnerability of that, because there's an honesty. Honesty is a key part, an essential part of radical integrity. So creating a book with vulnerable honesty and sharing in a public way what was really actually a really challenging passage in some ways. England was a beautiful and bittersweet adventure for us. And so here it is in the world. Um, I would say it, it's, it's now available through all major online retailers. You can order it through an independent bookshop. Um, as an indie author, most bookshops aren't carrying our work, but it's, it, you can order it through any of those. And it's available in paperback and ebook. And in fact, we're just winding down a major ebook promotion on Amazon. So, but you'll have missed that by the time this draws out. But maybe I'll roll out a New Year's promotion. And it's available in audiobook, which if you've tuned into the show before during the, the weeks, all last summer when I was recording that and had the audio sound panels here in the room and was always explaining what those big black rectangles behind me were for those who are watching the video version. The audiobook is now out. I'm hoping actually by the time this episode drops, it will also be on Audible. They take the longest because of their own technical specs and other requirements. And they, they do things like scanning the book with AI to make sure it matches the ebook and whatnot, whatnot. But it's already out on Spotify. So if you are listening or watching to me on Spotify, the audiobook is there. And if you're a premium member on Spotify, here I'm plugging Spotify as if whatever, but you get the audiobook for free. So there's a, there's a bonus. Um, it's at Barnes and Noble, their Nook audiobooks. It's on audiobooks.com. It will, it will be available for libraries. There'll be 30 retailers for it by the end of December and hopefully audible soon for all the audible fans. Cause that is still definitely the largest platform. So they have it. It's just not in their storefront yet. So launch week, winding down months of work heading towards December. The holidays are upon us. That's its own sort of little busyness, although I keep the holidays very simple. If you tuned into last episode, radical simplicity, there was a <laughs> a nod or an endorsement for simplicity at the holidays. Keeping it simple. What if less is more? What really nourishes us? Doing more seldom does. So I am happy to be doing less. The book is launched. The offering has been made. This offering of goodness and beauty, wherever it goes now, is out of my hands beyond some basic promotion. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for 
tuning into my story about this very unusual book. It's the last thing I'll say is it's on the book jacket description. It says it's a genre defying memoir. And that is a, a really accurate description. One part love story, one part celebration of the grace of the table. Yours truly is a Paris trained chef. One part ode to nature. Nature is a very big part of this book, particularly in the English countryside. And one part soul guide. That's not a word I use much anymore, but it fits for the book. And we could just shift that languaging a little bit of a guide to nourishing that most authentic, essential part of yourself. Where two worlds touch, an outsider's memoir in England. By yours truly, River Fair. Thanks for joining me. Whenever you're listening to this afternoon, morning, evening, I hope it's a lovely, <laughs> a lovely passage, morning, afternoon, evening. I like to say, be well and be radical.